All right. <coughs> Last time I had the opportunity to preach the Word of the Lord here, I preached in a brief overview of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments show us our sinfulness. They condemn us all before God that every mouth should be stopped. No one would have whereby to answer the Lord and say, I've done thus or thus and deserve to be forgiven. We all stand condemned before Him. It is the very standard by which we measure ourselves and we find that we're all lacking. The Scripture rightly says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It reveals not only that, but it reveals man's need for a Savior. The law is a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. The law teaches us to live to the glory of God. It shows us what God desires of His people. And rightly so, we are to live to the glory of God in all things that we do. And how do we do that? By obeying God's law. This evening I want to focus in on the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I want to look at this and consider an instance in Scripture where that was played out, where it was mentioned. For some context, we'll be in Joshua 23. For some context getting into this, God gave the law to Moses. Uh, Moses disobeyed God, was not allowed to cross over. Uh, Then Joshua was brought up to lead the people, and Joshua has led the people through various battles and divided the land as God has told him to do. And now we come into chapter 23 of Joshua, verse number 1. The Bible says this, And it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. And you have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is He that hath fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan, with all the nations that I have cut off even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, He shall expel them from before you and drive them out or from out of your sight. And ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised unto you. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left, that ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them, but cleave unto the Lord your God, as ye have done unto this day. The Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong, but as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God. He it is that fighteth for you, and he hath promised you. Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. We'll read the rest in a moment. I want to look tonight at Joshua chapter 23 
as Joshua is getting old and stricken in age and he's about to die, he brings the people of Israel together to contemplate over what the Lord had thus done before this and what the Lord had promised to do and what He was going to do. And there's a few things we'll see in this text. First, there's a contemplation which will take place between verses 1 and 5. There is a charge given from Joshua to the people in verses 6 through 11. And then there is a caution given from verse 11 through verse 16. And I want to look at how this is uh, taking the law of God and applying it. Taking the law of God and applying it more specifically in the first commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. In verse number 1, the Bible says, It came to pass after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel, and from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. Of all the adults who were alive before the forty years in the wilderness, when the children of Israel provoked God, and God said they would not enter, Joshua and Caleb believed God. And Joshua had been through a lot of things. He'd seen the work of God. He'd seen the fulfillment of promises. Joshua had seen the providence of God. Joshua had seen the grace of God, the love of God, the patience of God. But he also saw the anger of God against disobedience. He saw the consequence for disobedience against God. And now he's an old and a wise man and he's stricken in age. And he comes before and he gathers all the people together as any good leader does before he dies or leaves office Here he is, he's gathered the people together to talk to them and contemplate over what God had done before, over what God was doing right then, and what God had promised to them if they would be obedient. Nearing his death, knowing he was about to die, he calls the leaders together. He gathers them together. And listen to this, And Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, for their officers, and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. I'm old. I'm I'm getting older. I'm not going to be here very much longer, he says. And then he says this, And you have seen all that the Lord your God hath done and all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is He that hath fought for you Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have caught off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, He shall expel them from before you and drive them from out of your sight, and ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised So Joshua here, in an effort to guard the purity of the worship of God, to guard the obedience of God after he's going, because he's been leading these people and he knows he's about to die, and in an effort to make sure that the the pure worship of God and obedience to God carries on after his death, he gathers the people together and contemplates these deep truths, these wonderful things of God, these spiritual victories, these real tangible victories, these things that God has done before them. So he's thinking on them. He says, and you've seen all the Lord your God has done unto all these nations. Is this not what fathers do for their children? That they 
bring them together when they get old in age and they say, I'm old, I'm about to be gone. And they take their children and they say, remember a few things. Let's think about what the Lord has done through my life. Isn't that what any good pastor does? Is he goes and leads the flock? Does he not tell them and contemplate over the things of God, how God has so gloriously helped them through and and all the the blessing that God has given them and, and warns them of judgment to come and He admonishes the people. Any father that's worth anything or any obedient father will take his family and do this. Any obedient leader will take them the people before He's about to depart and take them and in an effort to uh, make sure that the worship of God stays pure and that obedience is faithfully kept, He'll take them together and He'll talk about the things of the Lord. In verse number 2, He lays it out. He says, I'm old. I'm nearing death. In verse number 3, listen, He puts us in view of the work of God before them. And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. Ye have seen that the Lord your God hath, the Lord your God hath done it. Joshua magnifies the Lord. Joshua here gives no credit to himself. He does not even call himself an instrument. He does not give credit to the people. He gives credit where credit is due. He says, and you've seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is He that hath fought for you. All good things come from God. We owe to Him our all. He doesn't need any of us. And Joshua's trying to get this point across. He doesn't need us. He's done this for us in spite of us. And so as they're thinking on these things, it, let's think of how this would apply to us. God saves us because of His own good pleasure. And God helps us according to His own purposes. And He leads us where He will. And He saves us only by the Lord Jesus Christ and by His grace. Do we ever contemplate of the grace of God toward us? And do we think really that all that we've got is because of the Lord? And so as they're gathered together here, He's saying, listen, You've seen all that the Lord your God hath done. The Lord your God is He that hath fought for you. Promising a great nation to Abraham. Bringing the people out of or into safety during the famine. Bringing the people of Israel up out of the land of Egyptian bondage. Bringing them across the Red Sea. Driving out mighty armies from in front of them. Tearing down the walls of Jericho. I mean, the list goes on of the things that God had done for His people. And all this does is it magnifies the Lord and it puts their mind in a right place. And so tonight as we consider the law of God, let us first consider that it is God who has helped us. It is God who has brought us where we are. And if we're going to obey the law of God, let us first consider that it is God who has saved us. It is God who has brought us together. It is God who has lifted us up. It is God who has allowed us to be here this very evening. And it is God who has saved us. Listen, He put their mindset right to begin with, and truthfully, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but anytime we honestly obey God, it's drawn from a, a love for Him. And remembering the things that God has done for you brings you to love Him. 
brings you to trust in Him, it builds confidence in Him, it serves the purpose of leaving no doubt of things to come. Once you look back over what God has done in times past, uh, we, we can logically deduce this, that if God has not fulfilled it, He's going to. And so God, when He makes promises, He, he keeps His promises Today's providence and today's care gives us assurance of tomorrow. No matter what God has ordained for us to go through. That being said, Joshua gave assurance that though they didn't have all that they were going to have, they were going to have it by the grace of God in that He said, Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that have cut off, even unto the great sea westward, and the Lord your God, He shall expel them from before you, and drive them from out of your sight, and ye shall possess their land, as the Lord your God hath promised unto you. The, the, the victory was sure. The victory was accomplished. But the experience of it was gradual. They gradually gained. And so that applies to our sanctification that Yes, we've been freed from sin. We are no longer in sin's bondage. But there's a progressive sanctification. There's progressive holiness. So much like this, when we contemplate the work of God in our lives, we see how He's grown us. We see the victories that we've been going through. The Lord your God, He shall expel them from before you. There is sure victory in the Lord. We, we don't have to worry. They, they got together and Joshua was telling them this. Listen, He's done it before. He's promised to do it. He's going to do it. Friends, we must well consider the Lord and His purposes, what He's done for us and what He said He will do. There is a charge given after solemn contemplation of the goodness of God, he gives a charge. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. That ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. Be therefore very courageous, or in other words, be exceedingly strong to do all that is written in the law. Obeying the law of God is not a passive act. You must purpose in your heart to obey God. Obedience to God is never accidental. You don't accidentally obey God. And so he gives this charge, Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Every time we see therefore, we've got to look back why it's therefore. Well, he just gave that in verses 1 through 5. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. In other words, don't slip into this laziness of, of a sense of security that I, I'm okay, everything's fine, and we get into this place of... Uh, content where we're kind of content we're kind of lazily secure where we're at as the brother mentioned before this is not the time to slow down this is not the time okay now we're establishing as a autonomous church uh, time to slow down time to back off no he says be therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses 
One man said it this way, However confidently hypocrites may contemn and deride God, they would wish, however, to have Him astricted to them. Nay, they often, with no small pomposity, boast of His promises. But true faith, while it reclines upon God, keeps those who possess it in fear. In short, those who would find God must seek Him sincerely, and if we desire to be regarded by Him, we must beware of turning our backs upon Him. The expression, be you very courageous, denotes serious study, because in the great weakness of our nature, no man will set about the thorough observance of the law. He does not exert himself above his strength. Give due diligence to study the Word of God. Give due strength and time and effort to, to read out the Word of God and study it. And, and the Bible says, make your calling and election sure. Study the Scriptures. Make this your priority in life. People oftentimes say that they have a problem with commitment. You don't have a problem with commitment. It's a problem with being committed to the right things. And so purpose in your heart to be committed to following God. Be courageous. Thinking on all that God has done. Purpose in your heart to serve Him, to follow Him, and to obey the law of God. And then he says, that you turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. King Josiah he was a good king. He re- rebuilt the temple, reestablished the worship of the Lord in the land. In 2 Kings 22 and 2, it's said of him that he obeyed the law of God, that he followed after his father David, and he did that which was pleasing in the sight of the Lord, and he did not turn from the right hand or to the left. Strive to obey God without the slightest deviation. There's a charge given to us that we've got to follow God. We've got to purpose in our hearts to follow after God. We think of Joseph when uh, Potiphar's wife came after time and time again. He said, I cannot sin against God like this. Why did he have that? Because he had purposed in his heart to follow the Lord. So we've got to be very courageous. Very, in other words, exceedingly strong. We've got to really work to obey God and put our effort into serving Him Now, that doesn't mean we're saved by our good works. Now, salvation is by the grace of God. Sanctification, we've got to be obedient and strive to serve Him. Settle now, Joshua says, in your heart to obey God. Do not turn aside. There's a charge given here of a firm resolution that I will follow the Lord. We think of this. What did Jesus say in the New Testament? He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, body, all that's within you. Love your neighbor as yourself on this, hang all the law and the prophets. We've got to purpose to love the Lord. In verse number 7, that you come not among these nations is a clear charge to not marry or mix in with the pagans, with heathens, with those, even those that, though they outwardly profess Christ, you know there's something different. There's a, there's, not a, uh, an agreement on the Scriptures, on doctrine. I know most of us in here are married, but be very careful not to marry an unbeliever. Don't look for someone and say, well, I'll be the one to change them. No, there's a clear command here. Don't mix. Don't intermarry. Don't think that you're going to 
uh, go in and be the Savior here. There's no fellowship between light and darkness. And God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And He would not have His people to be fellowshipping with darkness. And if He would have no fellowship with darkness, it follows that we ought not either. Not only does this pertain to marriage, but this pertains to our closest of relationships. Our very dearest friend. Now we can't altogether avoid the lost. We to go out and preach to them and to witness to them. But my dearest friends are sitting in this building right now. My closest friends are those that are saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And it would be that we must spend the majority of our time with those that would encourage us to serve Christ. Iron sharpens iron. We need to get around people that would be of like mind, like faith, like practice, and um, serve the Lord together. It's impossible to rightly serve Him if you're immersed in worldliness and ungodliness. And listen, it's like this. If you run with dogs, you'll catch fleas. If all you hang out with is the ungodly and the wicked and that's all that you're hearing day in, day out. You'll be just like these people in Judges and further on in, their, in the Scriptures where they turned away to the left hand and they turned away to the right hand. Joshua gives a stern warning that you cannot intermingle. You cannot make them your closest friends. God is a jealous God. He's jealous over His name. He's jealous over His glory. He's jealous over His people. And when we start mixing with people we'll start attributing things that belong to God to other things. We'll start mixing into our worship worldly things. How many times do we see a church that starts looking pagan? They start doing pagan things. Why? Because there's mixing in the building and among the leadership. And and now in God's covenant people, now you have mixing in of (coughs) wickedness. He refuses to allow anything or anyone that would take even a shred of His glory. That you come not among these nations. Listen to this charge. These that remain among you neither make mention of the name of their gods nor cause to swear by them neither serve them nor bow yourselves unto them. say, well, I don't call on the name of Buddha and I don't call on the name of Muhammad and all these heathen, pagan, false gods. I submit this to you that if you put anything in the place of God that has become a God to you and you're serving it, anything that you're serving more than TV show, anything. And so not to serve their gods, not to serve their celebrities and their 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 idols stay away from them nor cause to swear by them neither serve them nor bow yourselves unto them and verse 8 makes this very clear but cleave unto the Lord your God cleave unto the Lord your God God very clearly states this in the first commandment thou shalt have no other gods before me and now Joshua says to the people but cleave unto the Lord your God cleave unto the Lord your God it's like this when a man and a woman are married they cleave to one another and they become one together and they have fellowship with one another and they love one another and they're happy with one another and there's there's union there if we're going to cleave unto the Lord you don't so to speak, date Him on Sunday and then go with the world 
Monday through Saturday. It's not on again, off again relationship. Cleaving in itself shows a commitment, a, a sincere commitment to God that's beyond just, uh, you know, I know people uh, might have a mutual friend with them. No, there's, a, there's an intimate relationship that we're charged to have with God. Cleave unto the Lord your God as you've done unto this day. Here Joshua strongly charges them to cleave to God alone, to His Word, to His worship, to His law, to His ordinances, and to Him. How do we do this? Well, externally by strict adherence to His law. Closely following His Word. Faithful fellowship with the brethren. Faithful study of His Word. Outwardly, that's how we do this internally by sincere love for God. Confidence in Him and continued dependence upon Him and Him alone. You'll know where you are internally by your thoughts that you have toward Him. Yes, outwardly you can fake externals. You can come and you can read your Bible. You can do things externally, but you'll never be able to trick anyone internally. God sees the heart and He sees where you're coming from. And then he goes on, verses 9 and 10, he reminds us again of the blessing of God. He says, For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong, but as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you as he has promised you. And because he says that, he says, Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Don't turn from Him. Look what He's done. Look what He's promised to do. Look at the great rest promised for His people. Look at the the faithfulness of God to His people. Take good heed, therefore, that you love God. That you love Him. Why, Why is it that we follow God's law? And I want to ask you that. Why do you follow God's law? Why is it that you're following the law of God? Why do you follow God? Why do you make an effort to do what God has commanded? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you come to church uh, to to, uh, fellowship with the brethren? Why do you serve Him? Why do you go out and witness? Why do you go out and preach? Why do you go out and knock doors? Why is it that you do what you do? I submit this to you. It's If you're doing it rightly, it's because you love Him. If you're doing it rightly, it's because you love Him. Jesus said, if you love Me, keep My commandments. So, we're driven from love for God to keep His commandments. If you're just going to read your Bible so that you can have some false sense of security that you stand right with God, if you're just reading the Bible so you can feel like you've checked off a box, you're doing it for the wrong reason. God's not pleased with that. You're going out to witness so you can be seen in the community. You have your reward, but it's not with the Father. If you pray so people can hear you, if you you do any of these external acts so that you can gain acceptance with someone else or with God, you've done it for the right reason. And that's why, listen, the Catholic Church and even any of those that would believe in a works-based salvation, they've missed the whole entire point. We're saved by the grace of God. We serve Him because He... We love Him. 
The law of God is no, it's no binding thing to our consciences where God tries to take sinners that hate Him and force them to keep His law and they just hate it and kick and buck the whole way. No, friends. We've been given Christian liberty whereby we love the law of God and we serve Him faithfully because of what He's done inside of us. And so we've gone from uh, a God that we hate and a law that we hate and things we hate doing to now, by the grace of God, we love Him. Because He first loved us, we love Him. And now we want to read our Bible. Now we want to witness. Now we want to come and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now we want to live for His glory. Why? Because we love Him. So take good heed therefore unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. If you bathe for any other reason, you're backwards. You're backwards. Guard yourself. Make sure. Examine yourselves. Why is it that you do what you do? What are the driving factors? Take good heed therefore to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Lastly, he gives a caution. After contemplation over the things that God had done, the sober charge, Joshua goes on to caution the people, take good heed to love your God. Examine yourselves. Examine the motivating factors of your life. You disobey and turn from God. God will not drive out your enemies. Listen to this. Else... If you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this land which the Lord your God hath given you. Living in the land was tied to faith and obedience. If your love for the Lord wasn't enough reason, He cautions by way of warning. Now, we understand this to be a special command to the people that they were to go out and to drive out the enemies. Um, That's not a charge for us to storm the courthouse of Paris and to drive out the heathen with the sword and claim Paris for Christ. No, today we go out in the community by preaching the gospel. We faithfully serve the Lord. We do the work of evangelists. We go out and as God has commanded His church to go into all the world preaching the gospel, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever He's commanded us, knowing He is with us always even to the end of the world. So let's guard our hearts as we go out and serve the Lord. Verse number 14. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing is failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until He have destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God which He commanded you and have gone and served other gods and bowed yourself to them 
Then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land which he hath given unto you. There's a sobering warning here. Now, he says, as God hath made promises to do good to you and to help you and to lead you along and to give you a land that wasn't yours and to drive out these multitudes of enemies just as He destroyed Jericho, just as He destroyed the uh, different armies and the different people and driven out the Canaanites as He had done these things and as He had promised to do them and as they had seen these things fulfilled before their very eyes, just as God had faithfully done that and driven these people out and kept His Word, He says even as He's done good to you and promised to and and fulfilled it, if you are disobedient, there will be consequences. And just as there is blessing from God, there are also consequences for disobedience. There are real consequences. Now, understand this very carefully, that Christ has paid the ransom and the debt for His people, and we are completely saved in Christ. But that does not mean that there are not real consequences of disobedience. You'll ruin your testimony. You'll live in misery. Uh, Christians cannot sin against God and be happy about it. On and on and on and on and on. Uh, God's people are not going to be okay with uh, continued sin. They're not going to be okay with habitual unfaithfulness and so really it is this that if you're in habitual disobedience and unfaithfulness and you don't care and it's not bothering you you're without chastisement then you're not a child you're a bastard you're you're not of the father but to his people there are real consequences therefore it shall come to pass that as all the good things came upon you which the lord your god promised you so shall the lord bring upon you all evil things until he destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which He commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly off the good land which He hath given unto you. Going back to Exodus chapter number 20. God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. In closing, how does this apply to us? Let us think just for a brief moment of what the Lord has done for Christ's fellowship over the past year. It went from over in Dover where Brother Lafferty and Brother Ken had prayed about starting a work and the Lord had blessed that work and put Paris on their hearts. They came out here and door knocked and things and I'm not praising them, just what happened. And the Lord blessed the work. And then we started having visitors and we moved out here and people started coming and the Lord has added to His church and where there was two, now there's five and there's supposed to be some more come January, Lord willing, as they are baptized and join the the covenant people of God on this earth and they're they're going to join in faithfulness with the church and be baptized and, and it's growing and God has done a great work. And I'm thankful for that. 
And it, it overjoys my heart to think of what God has done. He's been very kind to us. When we contemplate over that and we think it was all because of God. It's all because of Him. But there is a charge. Have no other gods before. This is not a time for laziness. Yeah, we've seen a lot happen over the last year. Yeah, we've seen some great and wonderful things. And the Lord is blessed. But take heed lest you fall. Continue on. I do believe that the very sobering charge that Joshua gave to these people, that you should have no other gods before Him, before Jehovah God, that you should have no other gods, that applies right now. And that we should take very good heed that we would follow God in sincerity and in truth and love Him and serve Him and keep His commandments. That applies today. Take heed that you're doing it from a motivation of love for God. Not to be seen, not to be a part of something, but because you love Him. The, the charge to continue on. The reminder that God has promised that the gates of hell will never prevail against His church, that His, His kingdom will come, that Jesus is reigning right now. That gives us heart for tomorrow. That gives us encouragement for tomorrow. And He's given us a command to go into all the earth to preach the Gospel. I'm not of the fatalist mindset that we've got three more months left and it's time to hop out of here and everything's going to be done with. Jesus said, Occupy Telecom. And that is our job. And just as we see this, the, the Ten Commandments, the, 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 the law of God, and really the Pentateuch, we see the, the law being applied here Let's be careful to observe it. Let's not be as these that would be antinomian and say, well, uh, you know, I'm saved by grace and the law means nothing to me. Friend, we must have a desire for sincere holiness and and true holiness and and progressive obedience. I'm not what I want to be right now, but praise God, I'm not like I used to be. And, And I'm always growing and always going forward and always learning. And always being conformed to the image of Christ until the point that I die. And lastly, let me caution you with this. You're not above falling. You're not above sin. You're not above God. He is commanded, and if you don't obey, there are real consequences. You'll hurt yourself, you'll ruin your testimony, you will cause yourself a lot of anxiety and misery that you would not have had to go through had you been obedient to God. Let it be our firm resolution that as we go into this year and as we pray to the Lord that we can establish that we would follow God faithfully and that we would not get okay, that we've been given our possession, that everything is good to go, that we just lay back and relax while things... Go on as they've always gone. Let us press forward for the glory of God. Let us be uh, very cautious that we serve Him with our heart. Friends, let us remember how they thought of, contemplated over the goodness of God and His severity. How He was charging the people to have no other gods before Him. And remember the sobering caution 
not to fall away. Not to deviate. A little bit of deviation. A little bit of yeast leavens the whole lot. A little bit of sin goes a long way. Guard your hearts. And listen, if you will build your life on this chief cornerstone that, that you love God with all your heart, that you have no other gods before you, everything else will be fine and where it's supposed to be. The first law, thou shalt have no other gods before me, ought to be on your mind every morning you wake up. I will have no other gods before Him. I'm going to live for the glory of God. I'm going to serve Him. That's my main goal. Not your job. Not even your family. But God. If God's right, your job will be fine. Your family will be Priorities. Kind and most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for allowing us to be here again this evening. Father, as we soberly look at Your Word, let us be very humbly aware of where we're at right now. God, we thank You for what You've done for us. We magnify Your name, God. You are holy and You're righteous. And Lord, You've done great things here in Paris already. Lord, keep us from falling. Keep us from getting lazy. Keep us from going through the motions. God, burden our hearts that we would serve after You and have no other gods before You. That we would very, very diligently walk in faithfulness. God, I pray that You would bless this work here, God. That You would be magnified. That You would add to the church. Lord, use us as we go out into the community. Help us that we might guard our testimonies and not sin against You and give a chance for Your enemies to blaspheme. God, guard our hearts, Father. Lord, sanctify us by the work of Your Holy Spirit in us. We thank You and praise You in Christ's name. Amen.